0: Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out, starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaaf.
1: Back by popular demand, the Missing Chapter Podcast Top Fives. Easily the most popular
0: episodes from our listeners' perspectives is the Top 5.
1: The Top 5 war movies, Top 5 haunted historic places, Top 5 nursery rhymes, and this time we're talking about the Top 5 most used phrases and their unknown and sometimes ridiculously bizarre origins.
0: I've got my five. And I've got mine. So relax, grab a coffee, and if you're driving, keep at least one hand on the wheel and let's get to it your top five historic phrases and their origins.
1: Over the last two seasons, we've enjoyed bringing unknown stories from history to you every weekend. Now it's your turn to bring a story to us. Every
0: town in every corner of the world has a story and its history is our history. Tell us the story about
1: your hometown and what makes it special or unique. We're calling it Hometown History. Who or what is your town known for? Tell us your hometown story either in an email or a voice message from our Facebook page. Phil and I will choose one hometown's history to
0: research and profile in a full episode of Season 3 of The Missing Chapter. We will contact you to be a part of it. Every hometown has a story. The next chapter we add to the history textbooks could be yours.
1: Hey everybody, this is Phil Schaff here with Phil Horner on the Missing Chapter Podcast. Phil, another great episode today the Top Fives, uh, which is a, a big fan favorite. We get a lot of feedback with this one. But before we get started, let's tell the folks what we have on tap for the coffee.
0: Yeah, we have something a little bit different. This was provided uh, by our colleague, Chris Bauer. So thanks, Chris, uh, on his way to South Carolina uh, over spring break. He stopped off in Charleston for a, a bit of time. This is Charleston. It's a Holy City blend, big kick coffee. It's fire roasted, Phil, Ooh. and and you can almost get that that like I wouldn't say smoky, um, but there is like a deep flavor to it, a dark flavor to it. It's really really good. It's a little bit different than what we're accustomed to, uh, and it's really good. It, I mean, it it certainly adds variety to what we've been drinking. And the bag is nearly three quarters of the way done, so yeah. that also tells you that we've enjoyed it.
1: And it's whole bean too, so we had a it's nice little bean. grinder right uh, option here, which was great. Yeah, um, I didn't realize it was. It was fire roasted. That's phenomenal. Fire roasted. But yeah. And, thank you, Chris.
0: Yeah, and we have a nice cup of coffee. Like Phil said, we're doing a top five, a chat. Cheers. Cheers. Um, I think we kind of alluded to this in the in the intro. It seems to be a fan favorite. It's certainly one of ours too. Uh, it's a little bit different format, it's a different way of doing things. The research is different, the prep is different, Phil. And um, yeah, there's something about doing the 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 top five in the chats
1: that I I kind of look forward to. And as we always say. This creates a lot of conversation, which we right. love. We love the feedback. We want the feedback. We welcome it. So please, as we go through um, the top five phrases, which I think we've shared a little bit, but I don't think we are, I think we all have have two different lists. Yeah,
0: definitely. As you know, we we shared one or two just because we didn't want a lot of overlap. Right. And you are on a completely different wavelength yeah. than I was. Um, and like Phil said, the Missing Chapter podcast uh, at gmail.com, feel free to reach out to us either through an email or on social media on Facebook or Instagram. And we love to hear from you as always.
1: Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm interested to hear, uh, cause obviously when we're all said and done here, we're going to have 10 total idioms that, uh, you know, we're trying to find out origins of, and I'm, I'm curious to see what the listeners think, uh, not only of our top 10, but, um, you know, the, the list as a, as a whole, maybe they have some, some phrases they want. Right. And I know, I know we, we both tried
0: as hard as we could to, to kind of pick up ones that are, um, a little bit more obscure. You know, I, I, we came across the bite, the bullet one. I'm not sure if people are as familiar with that, the origins of that. I kind of assumed they were. So I shied away from ones like that Right, and tried to come up with ones where people maybe weren't as familiar with. Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, so what do you think, Phil? You want to get do started? It. Let's do our top top, uh, top five, rather. All right. So let's do uh, five and work our way back. Sounds good. Here we go. So my first one, if you don't mind, I'll start. Go for it. Okay. So number five for me is the whole nine yards. Now, this was something that I've, I've said a million times, and I think mm-hmm. a vast majority of Americans would. I always assumed that it had something to do with football. Now, right. why not 10 yards? I was always like, all right, the whole nine yards, well, it's not the whole 10, so why is it whole nine? But I, I would say it anyway. It was just like one of those things, right? So the whole nine yards is in reference to uh, pilots during World War II. They would have a nine-yard chain of ammunition. So when a fighter pilot used all of their ammo on one target, they would give the whole nine yards. Okay. So right. there we go. That That's a very short, nice little warm-up for us. Right. But it, uh, it's not hours.
0: related to the football movie. <laughs> no. Burt Reynolds. Burt anyway. Reynolds. No. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, but hey, that's a it's, it's a, a good, good segue Yes, it's a good one. In. Well, here here's the thing. There's a pop culture reference to mine as well that I'm wondering if people think the origin of my first idiom came from too. I'm going to start off with Matt as a Hatter. Ooh. And I, and you know what? That's my number five because I don't think people really necessarily use this this phrase. But I think you're familiar with it, Mad as a Hatter. And again, um, I kind of looked at Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland as where it might have originated with the Mad Hatter. And that's not the case, okay? It did not originate with Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. It's actually, its origins date back all the way to the 17th and 18th centuries, well before Carroll's book was published. Wow, all right. In 17th century Franceville, poisoning occurred amongst Hat makers who used mercury in the hat felt on the inside of their hats. So mad as a hatter, that saying actually originated because of a disease called mad hatter disease marked by things like shyness, irritability and tremors that would make the person appear, you know, quote unquote mad, not angry rather, but kind of crazy.
1: Like almost like a mad cow. Right.
0: Wow. That's phenomenal. That's my number five. So number four on my list. And I didn't intentionally, everybody, make mine as I'm looking over my list right now, so dark. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm gonna move on to number four on my list. Cat got your tongue? Oh, Cat got your that... tongue. If you ask a, a person in their loss, you know, uh, on what words to to respond with, um, two scenarios here, two different origins. The first one I'm gonna give you is probably the one that's that's least reliable. Okay, so I'll start there. A possible source. Um, that some of my research uh came across was that it was from ancient Egypt, hmm. where where liars and people who are accused of blasphemy, um, their tongues were literally cut out and fed to cats. Oh. I know, I know. And I just did an entire podcast on cats in history, <laughs> and I didn't bring that up. Um, but again, that doesn't seem like the most reliable. Instead, most historians point to this as the origin for Cat Got Your Tongue, Phil. It's an old English Navy phrase used to whip insubordinate subordinate um, sailors. They would use a cat of nine tails for flogging. Oh, flying. yes. Okay, so if you have that in your mind, a whip with nine almost straps that hang down, I guess that just make the whipping experience that much more painful. The pain was so severe when the cat of nine tails was used on these insubordinate sailors that the victim was in so much pain, they couldn't even scream out. Yeah. So the cat got your tongue is in reference to the whip and the inability of
1: the person being brutalized to even find the strength to, to scream. All right. So let's expand on that. Ready? Okay. So completely random, but we just got done with Easter. Mm-hmm. So cat of nine tails was used on Jesus. Okay. That's and, right. Yeah. Right. So the, the cat of nine tails would whip around a person and almost ravel itself, grab into some flesh, and when the whoever was on the other end of the cat of nine tails would pull, right. it would rip out the flesh, right? So <clears throat> the pain was so bad they had to come up with a new word for it. What was the word? Excruciating. Excruciating.
0: I think you've told me that yes. in the past, and, and I tried to go back to it and I couldn't.
1: That's the origin of that word. So nice. we just we just well, killed two birds with one stone. Yeah. Wow. All
0: right. And I wonder where the two birds with one stone came from. Oh, God. Maybe no, we got to do know. another one. We'll have to do another right, a follow one. a follow-up. Maybe up. a bonus.
1: All right, so listen, for my number four. Yeah. Um, I didn't jump the gun. Are you still going with your number no, four? No, i Okay. All right. So my number four here is Son of a Gun. Son of a Gun. Son of a Gun. So back in the day, sailors would sometimes take their wives on long ocean voyages. It's believed that if the woman gave birth on a ship, it should take place between the cannons on the ship's gun deck. Since it was the most secluded place. All right, because under the decks, you know, you'd have a lot of commotion and that kind of thing. That is so random. Completely random. And that's why I love it. Because of this reason, a child that was born on a ship would be called a son of a gun because it appeared as if it was being birthed from the gun itself. That's amazing. All right, Phil, going into number three, here we go. My number three is raining cats and dogs, which it's done a lot of... Right, I was going to say, that that's
0: actually... And that's, I think, um, an idiom you hear quite often, even today. Yeah.
1: Well, this idiom has a few stories that try to explain its origin. So here we go. Let me explain a couple things here. First explanation says that this comes from Norse mythology, where cats would symbolize heavy rains, and dogs were associated with the god of storms by the name of Odin. Uh, The second version says that in 16th and 17th century England, houses had thatched roofs, uh, which were one of the few places where animals were able to get warm. Sometimes when it would start to rain heavily, the roofs would get very slippery and cats and dogs would fall off, making it look like it's raining cats and dogs. But from a historian's perspective, this doesn't seem likely or logical in my opinion, because number one, we know the dogs didn't live in the rooftops. They would essentially make it on top. And number two, if they were on top of the thatched roof, you know, basking in the sun to stay warm, then they would immediately move when it started raining because the animals don't like rain. So that to me just doesn't seem like it adds up. I think that's really been debunked uh, by itself. But another version also comes from Europe where a combination of poor drainage systems and the large number of stray cats and dogs, unfortunately, would drown and their bodies would be left in the streets. And when the rain stopped and people emerged from their houses, they would see these animals. And, of course, it would appear that it really had rained cats and dogs. dogs.
0: Interesting. We're really on
1: this animal frenzy here. I know. Well, I'm I'm going
0: to throw a curveball at you then. My my number three, if someone bothers or annoys you, they rub you the wrong way. Oh, yeah. So the phrase rub the wrong way, and it's going to go back to early American colonial times. So 1700s primarily, early 1800s, when American homeowners would ask their servants to rub their oak floorboards the right way. Hmm. Now, the right way, Phil, in case you're wondering, that they were looking to have their servants clean their floorboards would be to go with the grain. Sure. Okay. Go with the grain of uh, of the floor and the wood. They would first use a wet fabric. And it's usually something like a sheep's wool, like a lanolin, followed by a dry fabric. Okay. Now, if you went with the grain, you used a wet fabric to a dry fabric, you wouldn't have streaks. You wouldn't ruin the floorboards. But if you did it the wrong way, the exact opposite happened. It didn't look good. There were smears. There were streaks. And the homeowners were annoyed wow, they got rubbed the wrong way.
1: Well done, sir. Thank you.
0: Okay, Phil, number two for me, if you see somebody and they don't acknowledge you, they're antisocial towards you, you might say they gave you the cold shoulder. Oh, sure. Okay. So this one actually, for me, goes back to medieval England, where this, this is so bizarre. You have a guest who it's time for them to go How would you initiate that? How do you give them the impression, listen, your visit's over, it's time to leave? Well, you do so by giving that guest a cold piece of meat from the shoulder (laughs) of the mutton, the pork, the beef chop that you would serve them for dinner. And when the host felt like it was time for the guest to leave, they would do that. That's how they would initiate time for you to go. They'd give them that cold piece of meat. It was the polite way of saying, yeah, time to go. Time to go. This party's over. Yep, Stop the cold wandering. shoulder. Oh, so it it has developed into, you know, that that kind of um, awkward exchange between someone. Now it's like you're being antisocial.
1: Give them the pork shoulder.
0: Give them the pork shoulder yeah, sure. or mutton.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, you just, it just dawned on me that, uh, as you were explaining that, being caught red-handed. That right, is, right, That has something to do with meat, too. You mm-hmm. know, the people, I think it was even medieval. It, I, I it, can yes old check english that. yeah so old i mean english, right th- i would consider that medieval sure yep. why not um being caught red-handed is is being caught with with the bloody meat that you're stolen from the butcher which which is crazy which is crazy yeah all right so now number three you actually you had one and that turned into two right i have one uh this idiom is actually because of this idiom another idiom was created okay so we're gonna we're gonna kill two birds with one stone yet okay. again it's and back.
0: I, I do have a feeling that we're going to uh, give some insight on that Let's one give for the a bonus. Yeah.
1: All right. So here we go. the The idiom for you right now for number three, or excuse me, for number two, I should say, is "beat around the bush." Okay. Okay. Um, this is an interesting one. All right. So let me explain. Common phrase is thought to have originated in response to game hunting in Britain. Seems like a lot of these originate in Britain. Um, While hunting birds, hunters would beat bushes in order to draw out the birds or any other game, of course, that they were hunting. Therefore, they were beating around the bush uh, before getting to the main point of the hunt, which is actually capturing the birds. Now, Hmm. part two to this story is this. Rather than beating around the bush, many people suggested that the hunters should cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. And just grab the nets um, and and collect the birds right from where they were trying to hunt. So cut to the chase, stop beating around the bush, and get the birds for once, will you? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, here we are after the break. Phil, we are down to our number one.
0: And you know, Phil, I have to say, um, I actually, I had a really difficult time. I kind of go back to the movie, the top five war movies. Yeah. Coming up with a list of five, I feel like we're going to have to do a sequel to this at some point because okay. I left so many good ones out that during break we were saying, well, which one are you going to do? Which one am I going to do? Because I feel like there's three or four at least minimum that I would have liked to have gotten to
1: and didn't have the opportunity. So so I think we just announced that there's going to be a part two to this in the coming weeks. Right. Yeah, I would agree. So, all right, let me throw out the number one for you. Um, I've always wondered about this and just never have taken the time to Mm -hmm. find the origins. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. All right. This one you won't believe. Early 1500s, of course, sanitation, germs really just weren't considered. Uh, People only bathed once a year. Not only that, they also bathed in the same water without changing it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So the adult males would bathe first then the females leaving the children and babies to go last by the time the babies got in the water was so filthy oh. it was cloudy so the poor mothers had to take extra care that their babies were not thrown out with bath water because the bath water was so murky and there you go and there you go and it makes sense now
0: you're number 1 i'm going to i'm going to turn a blind eye to that and explain, turn a blind eye. If you're going to ignore a situation, you're going to ignore facts or reality, that's what you've done. This one goes back to the British naval hero, Admiral Horatio Nelson. Okay. Who Phil had one blind eye. Oh. Once, when British forces were signaling for him to stop an attack that he was about to initiate on a fleet of Danish ships, he held a telescope. Famously up to his eye, his blind eye, and said, "Quote: I do not see the signal." Nelson continued his attack, and was victorious for the British forces. He didn't acknowledge. He didn't acknowledge the 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 stop signal. Continued to attack. He turned a blind eye to what his um, forces were telling him to do. That's remarkable. There you go. So there's our list, Phil, top five idioms, the meanings behind them, historic references for some of these famous uh, phrases and sayings that you've heard throughout time. Uh, If you enjoyed this, uh, stay tuned. We're we're definitely going to have a sequel that we'll follow up with. And if you feel like there's one, you don't want to wait for that sequel. There's one that you want to let us in on again, feel free to reach out to us either via social media or uh, through an email. But Phil, a bonus as we tend to do with the top fives in our chats Let's talk about two birds with one stone. You did some research.
1: What'd you come up with? Okay, so there's, there's like three or four possible origins here. I'll, I'll give a couple, which seem legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are kind of, I think, too far-fetched. So let's start with this possible origin, number one. Uh, and this comes from um, a British website, uh, qlanguage.com. So I can't take credit for this, obviously, but here we are. Uh, one of the, the sources, they think, it comes from Greek mythology, and there's, there's a tale of uh, two Greek gods, which I can't pronounce, so we'll just bypass that. But they devise a plan to throw stones at the birds, at two birds, in the hope of fashioning some sort of artificial wing or wings to enable the pair to fly home. He finds with his stone through a clever throwing motion that he's able to strike one bird uh, and then with the ricochet hitting a second bird, thus killing two birds with one stone. Of course, the rest is history. The second one seems a little bit more, I don't know, appealing to our English language and, and um, what we originated as. 1600s, initially used in somewhat a pejorative way to describe a philosopher's attempt to prove two arguments with a single solution. Implication was that killing two birds at one time is extremely challenging, unlikely, and that the philosopher's attempt should be viewed with extreme suspicion. Hmm. The philosopher had obviously failed to satisfy his critics, who suggested that his attempt was about as successful as a try to knock out two birds with a single stone. Now, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit more to that, but I think there's another one that seems, at least it applies for our class as well, this one seems a, a little bit more um, applicable and kind of, I don't know, I guess more vo- valid, I should say. Okay. This one comes from Thomas Hobbes. Oh. one of the Enlightenment yeah. philosophers that we've talked about in class. Uh, and it kind of goes back with that that second origin idea uh, or hypothesis. He said in one of his uh, books called The Questions Concerning Liberty, Necessity, and Chance back in 1656, to kill two birds with one stone and satisfy two arguments with one answer, whereas in truth he satisfieth neither. That. Kind of that would make sense. Right. Yeah. And like you said, for our, you know, maybe our
0: our former students, there's a blast from the past with Thomas Hobbes and somebody that you
1: talk extensively about during the Enlightenment. Yeah, absolutely. So there we are. There's a little bonus and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horinder. And I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.